Hello and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Wow. Well, if you read the description on the newsletter, you will see that the subject today is talking about solutions to global warming, pollution, and climate change. What a big subject. Can we cover it in a short amount of time? I do not know. But I want to also open up the line to anyone who may be tuning in today live, which I know most people just don't do that. They listen at their own leisure. And uh, so it should be, really, in the best of all worlds. So are we in the best of all worlds? You tell me. Anyway, I'm so glad that we have people listening and an expanding audience from all over the world. It's getting so interesting to see that we have people listening in from, let's see, it changes actually by the week, which is awfully very amusing in itself, but okay, certainly, and welcome, because uh, I, I love that we have uh clarity about, uh, wow, it seems like the female population is growing and growing, and the male population is shrinking. What does that mean? What does that mean? My work is appealing to women. I love it. I think it's fantastic, because I, on that note, uh, it's really the feminine quality of all of us, of the human being that needs to really come to the foreground at this point in time. Sometimes it is linked to actually gender, which I prefer, but not always. It's that feminine principle, the yin principle, that is a principle and associated with the energy of the heart. And that is just what appeals to all beings, and it's the heart of compassion. It's the heart of understanding. It's a heart of patience. And surely that's what, excuse me, that's something that we are rather bereft of in this world. And one of the reasons there is, I'd say, so much agitation, anxiety, and uh, violence, quite honestly. Not to mention testosterone ridden society these days that hungers for money and power above all else. And this is one of the problems. And when we talk about solutions to climate change, if we do not address that, we are actually not addressing the core issue. And I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but I did want to just say, oh my, we have a lot of people these days listening in Mother India. I think that's fantastic. Fantastic. One of my favorite places in the world. I've been there a handful of times. Love it every time. Just to South India, folks, so far. But I was just invited by a friend this morning, who's Indian, to Kerala, where he's looking to establish an alternative community, which I think is fantastic. And if any of you anywhere in the world would be interested in knowing more about it, just contact me at mjr at abetterworld.net, my email address, mjr, my initials, at abetterworld, the name of the show, I know you've noticed, .net, and write something about that, Kerala, in the, um, in the subject line, and I'll know how to uh, address that back to you, okay? But we have people, needless to say, primarily in the United States, but India at this point is a close behind, and South Africa, and the UK, and Canada, and then we get people sometimes from South America, and other parts of Africa, and Europe, and wow, it's just wonderful. And the point is that um, we're all in this together, folks. I mean, we're just all in this together worldwide. And to be overly um, concentrated and identified with our own distinct countries is just, I, I would just say it's an old world concept. It's great to be identified with one's culture up to a certain point, 
because our cultures of birth are in every single case rich and flawed and it's just the way it is because we're human and that's where the family of humans comes in where some people are rich in art and music and dance others are rich in science and mathematics and technology and what happens when you put us all together what happens when the linguists the linguists of us and the poets of us and the scientists of us all creative endeavors come together to have one conversation is that fun or what and we want people from all cultures to bring their own cultural diversity flavor um and uniqueness to the table because that forms a whole different human types within each culture every culture within the context of the human race. Where are we racing? (laughs) It's a funny word, isn't it? It's a funny word. Anyway, I think you all know what I mean. So when it comes to staring down this issue that we have completely created ourselves, this issue of global warming and pollution, contamination of our water, contamination of our air, contamination of our soil, well, I mean, what do you do? We have to do a lot. And there's a lot of good news. The good news is, as I've said to you many, many times, and if you don't believe me, go back into our archive at a betterworld.tv under Radio Archive, and it goes back weeks and months and years, and let me see at this point, decades well, decade, um, of radio shows in which I talk about these things and outline the horrors and outline the solutions. And we have both. It's good to know what's wrong. It's good to know where we've made errors and then how to correct them for a future that is sustainable and flourishing. Because, of course, that's where we're going, folks. If we're going to make it at all, that's where we need to go. So, uh, on that note, let me go back into the subject of tonight's show. It's all a part of the show. But, in particular, I want to just say that, uh, first of all, I don't think I need, not to this sophisticated audience, uh, to go into what we have created here, the, the nature of the soiling of our own home. And uh, you know what? Even personally, huh, it doesn't sound very pleasant, but even of our own pants, we, are, we have really truly soiled at this point. And I don't even like the use of the word soil for that because soil to me is the earth herself and it's very, very precious. So I, um, I'm reluctant to use that word in that context, but it does sort of paint a picture if you know what I mean. So, well, I guess indulge the word here. Indulge it. In short, my friends, uh, there's always been one level or another of pollution. Uh, And it's really since, as far as I know, the industrial age, starting pretty much in the late 18th century into certainly the 19th and forget about the 20th century, where the practices of industry, of manufacturing in England and then mainland Europe and the United States of America, and then Canada, and then Central and South America, began to really flourish. The United States is probably among the leaders in this flourishing uh, back in the 19th century. Um, and England, of course, was, um, was prominent at that time. And the amount of air pollution, water pollution, and human pollution, i.e., 
varying forms of slavery um, showed up. And it wasn't all complexion related at all. Child labor, for instance, female labor, for instance, male labor, for instance, it was the beginning of the so-called 40-hour work week, which was a form of slavery. People didn't work like that. They had time with the family. They had time, certainly, on the farm. Um, but they were in charge of their own time. But when factories began to gain an upper hand in, in the economy, that was a form of servitude where in order to receive a paycheck you had to put in a certain amount of hours. And people rebelled like mad. They didn't want to be harnessed and to be constrained in this kind of way. And people would sort of like play hooky. They would just not show up for work because it was so foreign to work so many hours and especially under such difficult conditions. Uh, that they would go out at lunch and not come back or drink and go a-pubbing and not return uh, sober and couldn't do a good job then anyway. All sorts of stories emerged from the beginning of the institution of the 40-hour work week. And so you ended up with completely contaminated air. People were breathing this all the time in and out of the factory. Smokestacks galore were just spooming smoke of the most horrid uh, contaminating ingredients, chemicals of all sorts that the world had never seen. Uh, these are unnatural synthetic compounds that are emitted literally 24-7 into our atmosphere. You know, I have told the story many times that as a youngster uh, at age, I think it was 14, I was growing up in Connecticut, even though I was originally born and early years raised in New York, and But my main growing up was after a brief spell in the Chicago area in Connecticut. And my father and I were driving on what's called Route 95 or the New England Thruway through a city there named Bridgeport, just dotted with smokestacks. And the smokestacks are puffing out huge volumes of black, thick smoke just spuming and so this was this was new to me i even in new york city we did not have anything like that uh not where i grew up and where i grew up in connecticut also we didn't have that but oh a few exits down the new england thruway was this city and there were the smokestacks and it was probably the very first time I saw these. And I said, Dad, what is this? I can't believe it. Look what they're doing to our air. I mean, is nobody paying attention to this? What politician would allow that to continue on like this without making an immediate stop to it, a penalty assessed, and a demand to filter the air or change the chemicals or change whatever it is that's actually creating this kind of emission. Anyway, he just kind of looked at me blankly and said, well, Mitch, that's just the way it is. It's been going on for a long time, and I don't see it stopping anytime soon. And I said, well, that's horrible, and we've got to do something about it because we have to think about generations in the future not to mention I was only 14 at the time and in my own and all of our lives, collectively. We can't allow that to persist. And 
that was the beginning of my environmental activism. I found out about some marches and demonstrations that were taking place right there in Bridgeport. And the funny story is I was so young, my father had to drive me to the demonstration so I could march. And he very patiently uh, put up with me. He very patiently indulged me to express my deep feelings about this horrid affair of pollution. And in different ways, ever since then, I have been on the case. And from my point of view, I can't spend enough time addressing the issues of climate change, of extreme weather, of pollution. And I don't care if people believe in climate change. It's not a religion to be believed in. It's a state of affairs that is factually supported that 95% of all scientists in the world, I think it's 90 to 95%, are in agreement with. I mean, I think you'd have to be a little dead not to see what we are doing to our environment through pollution and global warming leading to this thing we call climate change. Or we can just think about it as extreme weather, the changing of patterns of currents in the sea, in the ocean, of the melting of polar ice caps, of Greenland and Iceland melting, of, of the ecosystem changing so dramatically that these poor uh, seals and penguins and, uh, you know, the water life, the ocean life, polar bears, etc., are just stranded. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. They can't forage for food in the way they always have because the ice is melting. They live there, and their entire habitat is undergoing radical transformation, and they're dying. They're dying en masse. And so are people blind to this? And now this crazy man, Trump, is allowing further oil exploration in these highly eco-sensitive areas of our planet. I mean, pardon me, but who the hell is anyone to authorize something like that? Nobody has the authority to do something like this. It is either self-appointed or it is, and this is why we say that climate change is anthropogenic, not to say that there aren't natural cycles of weather and climate change. Of course there is. Everybody knows that. That's not new information. Geological and um, oceanic um, observation and climatic observation that we have charted, uh, we know that historically there are there have been ice ages and the like many times. We're not saying that there isn't a natural phenomenon occurring. But there's a speed at which it occurs. There's a duration as well, a velocity. And what I'm saying and what, oh, God knows, millions of my brothers and sisters educated and otherwise instinctively know or intuitively know that the world is a changing quickly, actually too quickly and unnaturally quickly. And that's, of course, why we are addressing this. So you ask. So I don't have to go further and talk about the frogs and the tadpoles and the algae and the coral reefs and the um, bacteria and every single scale of the food chain and of the the life chain from ame amoeba up 
to the most complex organism, us, are undergoing a massive change. Our lungs have to deal with the issues at hand. Our our uh, taste buds, because we're eating fake food so often, not real organic food, but Roundup glyphosate-tainted food. So we have to clean out our gut like never before. Our liver is working overtime. Blood sugars are bouncing. Oh, don't get me started. By the way, on that level, I would strongly recommend that you go to my website, abetterworld.tv, and look into buying Purium, which is, by the way, so named because the food is actually pure. They select farms that have true organic soil, not just the FDA defined, or USDA, I should say, defined soil, that is in the United States, uh, which still allows, believe it or not, up to 40 different pesticides. Even though it's called organic, it's not truly organic. Uh, But there are organic sources, and Purium is one of the few. I'm sipping it now as we speak. Mmm, real chlorophyll, pure chlorophyll, delish, and it's tasty, but they have a particular probiotic called Biome Medic, which has been proven in preclinical trials to remove the glyphosate. That's the active ingredient in Monsanto's Roundup, which is found ubiquitously, ubiquitously. In the world, mainly in the United States, there have been some countries that have been wise enough to ban it. And some of their wisdom comes from a colleague and friend of ours here at A Better World, Jeffrey Smith, who runs a couple of different uh, websites and organizations which are all about educating people and governments about the hazards of glyphosate. And when he found out that this purium probiotic called Biome, B-I-O-M-E Medic, M-E-D-I-C removes glyphosate about 74% of it within about a six week period, he went wild and said, I've got to get this and get to spread it around. So We're doing the same thing in A Better World. We've been at this now for about six months or so, five or six months. And uh, I joined this organization through a dear friend of mine, a couple from uh, Santa Monica out in beautiful California, L.A. area. We used to work together with the Amazon Herb Company that was always – spreading the use of these incredible indigenous herbs from the Amazon all over the United States and Europe and paying back to the indigenous people of the Amazon and helping to support their culture, their education, and their life and their habitat, as well as giving them the advantages of Western technology, which is nothing to be um, embarrassed about. It's just... There's only one thing to be embarrassed about from my point of view in this regard is the cost to our environment about it and the uh, greed that tends to infiltrate the businesses that produce and promulgate and propagandize the product lines. Yes, I do mean Apple among them. Um, And uh, it's too bad because the products themselves have so much value. But the overconsumption that they are pushing and pressing with the built-in obsolescence and all the stories around buy more, spend more, are just ecosystemically dangerous. And it's more is not better. Less is better. Efficient is better. 
long-lasting and sustainable are better, better values to promote. So there's plenty of money to be to go around if it just doesn't have to be. You know, at this point, these big companies are heading toward, and some of them actually hit trillions. These are numbers that are staggering while so many people are hungry all across the world. What kind of world is that? Who wants to live in a world where there is such inequity, there is such injustice that is rampant? I mean, if you really think about it, folks, we have grown accustomed to a world of suffering of our own brothers and sisters every single day, waking up hungry, going to bed hungry, children, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, hungry or ill, unable to financially support themselves or even to provide enough food and water and shelter because they don't have a plot of land to grow food on or some such. You know what I mean. We all see it every day. We live with it. And yet we're siloed. And we cannot actually accept all that is really going on. Truth of it all is probably just too painful. I mean, you know, can God herself even sustain the pain of what we do to each other and what we do to the earth. And that's why I call a lot of the work that I do sacred stewardship. Because it takes the life force very, very much to heart. Very precious. And we need to be that connected to the heartbeat of Mother Earth herself. And when we are, I believe that our natural inclination to care for each other is awakened and enlivened and buttressed and enhanced. That's the kind of world I would like to see. I I truly believe everybody who would be listening to this show really feels the same way. It's just human. It's not human. This is not a political conversation. This is not an economic conversation. This is a human conversation. It's biological. It's psychological. It's emotional. It's fundamentally spiritual. It's humane. And it's just funny when you think about us relative to the rest of nature, because after all, we are just a part of nature, like a tree or a flower or an animal. We are an animal. We are part of an animal species, even though we hold ourselves above them all, and we deem ourselves unique and special and superior, quite honestly. To me, that debate in motion, the verdict is not certain about that. We have certain features that others may not, possibly. And I don't know that factually, by the way. I think we would have to be inside of a tree or inside of a plant or inside the mind of a, of a, um, a chimp or a bonobo to really know the answer to that. So I'd rather not make presuppositions. I mean, thankfully we have movies like Dr. Doolittle with Eddie Murphy, (laughs) which is so funny, where, you know, all the animals are talking to him and he's talking to all the animals and everybody's talking among themselves and everybody knows that animals speak to each other just like we do to ourselves and with ourselves. And we now know that trees are speaking through their roots and everything else all the time. And they share water and they share nutrition and they are like one big happy tree family. They don't let anybody starve or they do their best when they're networked 
referred to with the with the roots root networking <clears throat> to make sure everyone is fed. Isn't that interesting? And I would dare say that if we lived in in smaller pods, smaller communities, we would be like that too. When things start to get anonymous because the population has grown to such an extent, uh, it starts to become unwieldy and people don't have the same emotional relationships with each other and they simply just don't care as deeply for each other. And that's how poverty and hunger and the like persist. It's not that we're not capable of it. We are. It just takes an extra level of compassion and brotherhood and sisterhood to get there. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, there are layers of complexity to that conversation. But I, I just want to emphasize that we are all very human. And, of course, we all know there is a, a beautiful side to that, an uplifting side that touches the heart and soul of everyone that's listening. And there's a shadow side that part that thinks just of ourselves, that part that gets fearful and therefore covets and uh, acquires and clings and like that. You know, you know what I'm speaking of, of course, because we all have such tendencies. It's not that. They're very human tendencies. And uh, they're not particularly evolved tendencies. They're survival tendencies. So we understand that, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's helped, these tendencies have helped to keep us alive. However, and that's a big however, we reach a point where we say, my God, I don't need to cling. I, need, I do not need to aggrandize. I do not need to simply acquire at whatever expense. I can let my hand open I can embrace the tree. I can embrace another person. I can share resources and all can, you know, eat and drink and have shelter. It just doesn't take that much. You know, this tomahawk missile, oh God, that went flying to some targets in Syria. I mean, Nobody talks about how many millions and millions of dollars that whole exercise, this futile, ridiculous, testosterone-driven exercise costs. But you know what? We could rebuild New York City infrastructure, probably with what got expended to kill and to harm one night. Why don't people think about these things? Why don't people think about a proper allocation of money for actually helping people instead of killing them? Okay, I'm going to back up. I'm going to back up. You are listening to Mitchell J. Rabin on A Better World. Thanks so much for joining us. We're on the air every Wednesday evening and sometimes on Tuesday evenings, depending on what's happening. But You listen at your leisure anyway, so it's just fine. Of course it is. Uh, But I like that there is a kind of a reliable time each week that you know that a better world will be on, but sometimes it just ain't possible and I have to flex with the Tao. (laughs) That's what I have to do. I have to flex with reality and go with the flow, baby, as they say. Please sign up for our newsletter, which we have on our website in the right-hand column. Let me make sure it's still there. Oops, oh, my God. We had to take it down temporarily. It will be back. It will be back. I'm so sorry about that. Uh, We're doing some upgrade to the website and to our newsletter. So at this point, actually, if you want to get the free newsletter that comes out only once a week, you're not bombarded like I am bombarded. I mean, there's some people that, you know, organizations and things that send out a dozen emails a day. 
We send one a week, sometimes, rarely, twice a week, once a week that announces our Monday evening television show here in the Big Apple, 7 p.m. You can listen, however, online through our website. Just click at the very top where it says Monday, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Click to watch, and then there will be another little click where it says watch live, and you will be on to watch from wherever because it's webcast. But at the time of 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Mondays, and then, of course, the radio archive for the radio show. And we really do suggest you take the link and email it or, you know, Instagram it or tweet it to your friends, post it on your Facebook page, and share it far and wide so people can get in on the fun of creating a better world and be part of the family and the community because that's the way we're going to do it. It takes massive quantum growth and collective energy to do it. So, uh, let me return again to the subject here while we still have a few more minutes and uh, look at something I said we would talk about here tonight, which is answers and solutions. Okay, first of all, there really are personal things that people can do. And it does make a difference. It's not the biggest things, but it does make a difference. If you take a look, I'm, I'm very fond of the work of Paul Hawken, who I've mentioned many times on this show and um, uh, is truly one of my heroes. He's written a score of books starting, I believe it was in 1994, with The Ecology of Commerce. More recently is... Uh, Blessed Unrest, in which he discusses the literal millions, if you can believe it, millions of organizations worldwide. They are companies, they are nonprofits, they are NGOs, non governmental organizations, some of them connected to the United Nations, some not. Uh, some are what are called benefit corporations. B corporations, they're called now. Some of them are C corporations. Some of them are S corporations. Some of them are nonprofit corporations. Every single size and stripe are committed to social justice, economic and political environmental justice. They are looking to make a profit, surely, in many cases. There's nothing wrong with a profit. It's a good thing. It's at what expense. So looking at social enterprise business as a means of world transformation, as a vehicle for change, cannot be overemphasized and it should not be underemphasized at all. Because when you wed values, being a values-driven company that putting people and planet before profit, you're going to become a whole lot more profitable without hurting people. Quite the contrary, helping people, supporting people, helping people enjoy. You know, there are corporations that have actually been around for a long time where they have, and these are totally privately held companies that have, whole child care section so um, the the women can bring their children to work with them and there's a whole you know kindergarten and nursery school and all sorts of things right there at the job so at lunchtime they can go visit their child and play and nurse and all sorts of things and then go back to their work and then they go home together and uh, there are places where there are even golf courses and tennis courts. So during lunch or at a break, they just go play and they play with their, you know, their staff members and they build community and they build teams and they have fun and they enjoy doing a good job and they then get paid amply for it while creating products and services that are done with say, zero waste and and, uh, 
recycled water and being eco-sensitive in every single aspect of the production cycle. Um, the use of electricity is sometimes provided by solar or wind or geothermal or microhydro technology. These are all simple, natural, relatively easy and quite inexpensive methods of changing away from fossil fuel-based everything. It can all be done on the grid or off the grid, for that matter. Everything is changing, folks, and it's changing everywhere. Right now, for instance, I, through A Better World, um, am working on a project we're calling Greening the Middle East. And through some colleagues and friends of mine connected to Egypt and other Middle Eastern countries, we are looking to plant large tracts of very high-quality premium lawns, pre using a premium seed, I mean, uh, that use 75% less water. I've done the show on this. If you go back into the archive, it uses 75% or more less fertilizer. It needs 75% less care and mowing and maintenance, so you are end up growing. You end up growing very deep roots, up to four feet deep, and the grass is very green and very lush, and uh, needs almost no water. So we can literally green the desert, and we are also using technology that will be placed and is being placed on a tailpipe of a car and it utterly cleans up the particulate matter that is otherwise in most exhaust in across the world that is very very dirty and is destroying the air in our cities in Cairo in Mexico City in Cochabamba Bolivia in Bogota um in China, it goes without saying. I mean, people wear masks to go outside. They have to have oxygen bars. The air, Mongolia, is so foul. Respiratory diseases are rampant among especially children because they do not have the developed lung capacity or the immune function to, uh, to deal with the onslaught of chemicals in the air. Well, we have solutions to this, folks. And the architecture of some of these ancient, beautiful cities, like Cairo, um, are being decimated because air pollution is corrosive and it wears down the buildings. <clears throat> we have solutions to all of this. We have solutions wherein we can create um, we can create uh, electricity for literally pennies on the dollar, a fraction of a penny per kilowatt hour. It's unheard of. But in fact, here at A Better World, we're working on these solutions. We have them. Microhydro is being done all over Africa, for instance. Just one small thing. But it's not so small. Because when you make these systems, these technologies systemic, you're starting to really change the balance of CO2 in our atmosphere. It starts to reverse the effects of climate change. It starts to affect the dropping of temperature. It starts to slow down the melting of the ice caps, and it can be done. First, it's wise to even believe it can be done, even with all of the horrific damage that we have already created, <clears throat> it can still be turned around. Yes, it is late in the day. It is near midnight. It's true. There is so much damage, and it becomes a spiral, you know, uh, and it becomes precipitous, where we don't know what other little, you know, uh, cog in the ecosystem world needs to uh, be debilitated before the whole thing is thrown off. 
and there's a kind of a quantum shift in everything. And it really can happen in a sense overnight. Uh, uh, but we're not there yet. It's happening in ways with the extinction of species occurring every single day. Um, and, you know, yes, 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 it could be argued that, well, it's always been the case. There are always ex extinction of species. It's true. My point is not that. My point is at this rate, with this rapidity, and the answer is actually no. It's not at this rapidity naturally. But that is what we're dealing with now. So there is a, an ecosystemic collapse that we are witnessing and that we are actually living with and through right now. And it is reversible. Now one of the points that Paul Hawken makes, and I am seeking to have him on the show in relatively soon, that is, is that you're going to be surprised by this. But one of the top items that his team, his drawdown team, of literally hundreds of Ph.D. scholars in environment, in IT, in a whole slew of different disciplines and multidisciplines came up with is the education of girls as one of the chief features. It's so interesting. You would think that it was the changing of fossil fuel to renewable. I mean, that's something that I'm after big time. And I completely stand behind that as one of the key features of affecting global warming and temperature change. But in his research, it shows that the educating of girls is so critical. And think it through. If girls get educated in developing countries, let's say as in Africa or Southeast Asia, then the cycle, getting married at 12, yes, 12 years old, they haven't even hit puberty, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. And then before they know it, before they know what life is, they're bearing children. And what are they going to do as a mother at 14 or 15 or 16 years old? They're going to take care of their children. There's a natural, obvious, biological instinct to do so, which means they're not going to have the time in the day to crack open a book or to develop a solar oven or to do the things that might further their own education and own personal development because they're focused on, at that point, raising children, and they're still a child themselves for all intents and purposes. So to stop that population cycle, let me say to delay it, to slow it down, to reduce it, reduces the drag on the uh, daughter, on the girl. She's allowed to mature herself, and the statistics show that when a girl gets a chance to have an education, she is greatly delayed. I don't, that's not the right word. Um, choose to have children or be married until a much later age, like at least after 25. Education starts to become very interesting to them, both high school, undergraduate, and sometimes graduate school. And then they start to become a different type of contributing member of society, not just bringing forward children, which has got its own value and importance. Don't get me wrong. But it might be two children at age 27 or 29 or 32 instead of five children by 18, all uneducated and all therefore materially poor and economically poor, and then become a drag on society instead of contributing. You see, so if you follow through the logic why educating girls, even though you would not think, it, you know, it's a bit counterintuitive at first when you hear it, 
But when you think it through, you go, of course, there's an entire cycle that gets generated here where this becomes so vitally important to the shift in climate change. Because then resources are used differently. Um, in Africa, they burn a lot of wood for cooking, for instance. But when girls get educated, they make different types of choices. As I mentioned before, there are solar ovens. We here at A Better World are about to um, distribute um, an item like that. Uh, it's actually a solarized barbecue, a, a solarized grill um, that just can be kind of set up anywhere. And there's no smoke and there's no carbon burn and there's no wood. There's no ash. None of it. <clears throat> Completely short-circuited for a very low price, just as an example of many. So I want to bring this to bear. Needless to say, there are so many more items. And uh, I just want to engage you all in this, first of all, kind of thinking that it's easy to just call it doomsday. It's easy to say, I can do nothing. I am powerless in the face of a major world and multi-level, uh, multi-level, multi-national corporations who rule the world, as David Corton educated us about many, many years ago. And, um, you know, it's just not got to be that way. That when we speak our own truth, when we act in accordance with the truth, when we coordinate and cooperate with other people, this is what has kept us alive all of these years. It's not the so-called Darwinian myth of the survival of the fittest. That is not a proper understanding of what was he was promulgating but it's been misinterpreted and it continues because it has certain economic and political features that benefit the few and not the many. The way we have survived as a species is through the development of oxytocin, bonding, love, affinity, smiling, laughing, humor, storytelling, dancing together, making music together, rituals together, celebration together, ceremonies together, hunting and gathering together, sharing food together, building families and networks together, enjoying each other. That's how we've survived, folks. It's cooperation. It's community. It's all those good C words. Uh, and it's not the dog eat dog. Dogs don't really eat dogs anyway, so we surely don't want to be part of that. We want to ascend to our higher nature. You know, as I have so many friends who say, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. I say, we are animals trying to have a human experience. Let's approach it that way from the ground up. <laughs> Let's start becoming human and then in our higher humane nature we will touch God we can touch the preciousness and sacredness of the life force itself and um, become reverent from that place I think that's a whole lot more useful bottom up instead of top down anyway <clears throat> having faith through one's own actions, by the way. Not blind faith, but faith that one knows one will continue to do the right thing, act in integrity, uh, as though someone is watching, including oneself, and just keep doing the right thing, whether other people know it or they don't. This is what Kurjeev used to talk about as work in silence. Just do the right thing whether you're with others or whether you are alone. This is the human gig, right? Okay. I think I've made my points. Um, <clears throat> educate.
meditation is key. Hope is a state of mind. It is a state of being. It doesn't mean that we know what the outcome will be because we don't. But if we align the way I'm describing, increasing the probability of success. Nature is wondrous. Nature is what we would call miraculous. But a miracle is really a function of nature, as St. Augustine said, about which we know very little. So we call it a miracle as though it is simply God-given. Well, it may be God-given, but it is part of our godly enterprise. And we can engage that miracle anytime we choose when we focus enough and collectively put our energy behind an idea and execute and implement and apply. It can happen. Yes, thankfully, we have creativity that has given rise to technologies that can really help us move along. I mentioned the wind technology. I have uh, you know, a group that does amazing solar activity all over the United States, and they're looking to spread beyond and have to some extent, and I'm seeking to help them spread their, uh, their, their genius in what they do. <clears throat> we have water technology that can take any body of water and clean it up and recycle water where there's just very little in a given region and use it over and over and over again for uh, wastewater as well as for creating uh, uh, potable water that is drinking water. It can be used for fish farming. These are the things that we do here in a better world. And when you provide nutritious water, and you provide nutritious food, and people have a livelihood of some sort, so they have some sense of comfort and security. Boy, oh boy, can they get along with each other and build a better world. When people are hungry and feel insecure, food insecure, water insecure, that's where we have trouble in River City, folks, and we can do something about that everywhere. We've got the mindset, we've got the heart, we've got the technology. So we can really change the future if we collectively gather. And that's what a better world, of course, as you know, is all about. Personal health, planetary health, and people and planet before profit. So listen, I want to thank you all for joining me this evening. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Mitchell J. Rabin for a Better World. Know that we have uh, coaching services, energy balancing services. We have DVDs that we make available of our TV interviews and video interviews. Some of them are on YouTube. They can be bought uh, as DVDs on our uh, Amazon store, which is if you click store on our website, uh, you can access. And we love when you give us your feedback at mjr at abetterworld.net or call us at 212-420-0800. Your feedback is really important to us. Your suggestions, what you enjoy, what you don't enjoy, we want to know it all. It helps us become more and more effective in our work. So thanks again, and if you want to get on the newsletter at this point, just write to me at that uh, uh, email address, and we'll do it manually, mjr at abetterworld.net. Mitchell J. Rabin signing off. I look forward to seeing you all next